Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. You're listening to From the Pink Seats Podcast of the State of Louisville Podcast Network. Now, here's your host, Jacob Lane, Matt McGavin, and Vince Lococo. The weather has finally turned in Louisville, Kentucky. We can breathe. It's not freezing outside. And uh, it's starting to feel more like, it, it, you know, spring football events. And the, and the nature of what we just learned this week, which is the dates for spring football 2024, it feels like football season. I kind of smell yeah. it, man. I kind of smell yeah. it. I, I saw some pickleball Snapchats today of people out playing pickleball and everything. And, uh, you know, it's definitely getting around the, getting around the uh, spring football time. I love spring football. As a fan, I hated it as a player. Stand by that, and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You told these stories. Of, was even less of a fan of it as a coach because I was up there on a Tuesday at nine o'clock for no reason. Yes, absolutely. In the middle of February at that, right yes, under Scott Satterfield. So cold, and I, oh my god, it was iced one time. Oh my gosh, that was terrible. How are you, Jacob? Nobody ever asks you how you're doing. I know that's a good point. Nobody does ever ask me how I'm doing, and Matt never certainly cares about how I'm doing. I'm good, man. I'm good. I got a lot going on at home. We're going through some. Uh, digestive issues with the two-year-old toddler trying to figure out how to get his tum-tum to work in a way that produces a tried, consistent flow. Have you tried fried bologna sandwiches? I hear those, <laughs> those, are, those are great. I have not, but I will be sure to stop by my local five Tell Taylor, Tell Taylor I said fried bologna sandwiches okay. every time and, and just put her finger in a little bourbon, swirl it around, and put it in a, put it in the mouth. It'll be all right. Yeah, my mom actually said the same thing, so I might have to take you up on that. But no, I'm doing well, man, and I'm really excited tonight for this episode, Vince. I know we're not like necessarily to the point of full off-season content, and we've recently announced that we've got a live show to kind of support more football all the time, so we're not quite there. Spring football, as I mentioned, is coming up. We'll talk about that here in a second, but um, I, I'm really excited about this episode because when you recognize a Louisville football story in real time, that fits right in with what you do as a show and what you love to kind of highlight and bring to the forefront, you, you get excited and you get riled up. And that's what it was for me when I discovered uh, what just being on Instagram and following players from the state of Louisville account, uh, I came across Alan Houston, the third, who was a walk-on for Louisville this year with a really interesting story uh, in Japan for this bowl game. And I'm like, what bowl game is in Japan? What did I miss? <laughs> what happened? I didn't, I've never heard Sorry, of this. Boys. Yeah, I, right, the Wasabi Bowl every fourth year gets sent to Japan to be played. But no, it is a all-star game that is honestly, Vince, one of the probably most unique football events in the entire world, right? As the as the game of football is starting to go global, right? We see them in Germany now in the NFL, which I know you don't like. We see them in um, Mexico City, which is more still of an Eastern Standard Time. We can get down with that a little bit more. No, no. no. If, they want, if they want the business, they can get the business. I assure you, none of them wanted J.J. Watt coming off the edge in his prime, nor did they want Ray Lewis in the middle during his prime. I sure. mean, right. But the city still I, wants to enjoy football. The country. I mean, I'll take it. I'll take a free gold medal. 
Right, right. Well, and listen, they just um, they just announced the first game in Brazil this upcoming season. So the NFL is going global, right? And what the yeah. Dream Bowl is building off of that, and it's capitalizing off of the growth of football in Japan. Um, and really, more recently, it's kind of getting in line with that because post-COVID and pre-COVID, this was a big event, right? For the, the COVID years on, this didn't happen. This, was, this has been going on for 20-plus years. And what it is, Vince, is the Ivy League's all-stars made up of their seniors – and graduate transfers, which Alan is going to kind of walk us through what that means and define that in Ivy League terms because it's really different and interesting. Yeah, that was than wild. Anything else in the country from a transfer standpoint. I um, mean, he's going to walk us through how this kind of came to be and uh, his connection at Brown um, and James Perry, who is the head coach there, really is kind of what opened the door for him to play in this game. And it is Americans versus the the best from Japan, like literally, like what? What is that? No, it's it's a adult. Grown men, all-star team from Japan playing against the United States. And and it's just such a cool story. When he was over there, you know, he'll talk about this and allude to it in the interview, but he got to go and visit some really historical cities, got to go out and experience the nightlife. They did some cool football clinics with some of the youth over there who, like I mentioned, like they don't know that that's not Tyreek Hill. They don't know that's not Stephon Diggs. Right. They have no clue. For them, that's an NFL uh, or football celebrity. So it's a really cool moment for them to get to kind of continue that football journey and you know, when you get into that, it really just opens Pandora, Pandora's box of the story of Alan Houston III. And, you know, if you're a Louisville fan, you don't need me to explain the significance to that name, the significance of the kind of closing the loop of Alan Houston uh, from a basketball standpoint in the recruitment to U of L with his father ultimately ending up at UT. So all of it, man, I, I texted you like two months, like a month ago, and I'm just like, I don't know what we're going to do or how we're going to do this, but we're going to get Alan Houston the third on our show yeah. to talk about the Dream Bowl. As soon as you text me about it, I was, I, I was down. Because, I mean, the name alone, and I hadn't done any research about the Dream game or anything like that at the time, but the name alone is what I was like, oh, yeah, for sure. This will make for a good episode. Obviously, trusting your co-host, too, that, you know, he, he's going to What if I ever failed you, man? Exactly. Maybe, like, one time. Yeah. I can think of one episode where you're like, fuck, I'm never doing that again. I won't say who that was. You know who I'm talking about. Yeah, but exactly. we won't ever do that again. Yeah, so yeah. you trust me, though, yeah. is what I'm getting at. I mean, this is an interview that I'm very excited for the listeners to get dive into. I mean, he was an incredible person to talk to. It's not every day you get to talk to somebody that has an Ivy, Ivy League degree in their back pocket, which in my – I mean, my – fullback ass over here i enjoy that every time i mean you've you learned something every time you talk to him. that's right man that's right yeah i, I <laughs> you we joke about it a little bit coming from the ivy league to louisville the the academic uh, academia shock that that is but uh it's just really interesting to learn used, a lot about I mean, that man, you got to a little bit we used to mess with pfeiffer all the time whenever uh <laughs> right. bro i mean it, it was bad it was bad. <laughs> that Vandy education, man. Well, let's just real quick before we dive into uh, chatting with Alan, let's just kind of talk through some of the things that are happening in real time here. Um, from, from the Pink Sea Podcast, of course, State of Louisville Podcast Network brought to you by Kern's Corner. Check them out. Uh, and the show is presented by Frankfurt Avenue Liquors and Wine, 2115 Frankfurt Avenue is where you can find them right next to the Manhattan Project. Stock up your bar. Stock up uh, before you go to a, a game. If you want to get a little pregame in, go ahead and stop in there. Great place. But Vince, let's talk about some of the Louisville football storylines that are um, kind of happening around us. Jeff Brown met with the media today as spring football has announced that the game will happen in April. I should pull up when that game will happen. I will probably get that by the time I ask you this question, but um, that is kind of the big thing is spring football and, and really events, you know, it's, it's not necessarily that like we're the kind of like forefront of Louisville football leading the way, but it is really interesting that Jeff's 
first 2024 press conference is right after our last episode of 2023 in review. It, it really does kind of lead right in. We're in 2024. I don't know about you, man, but I'm ready to go play football games like tomorrow. I can't freaking wait. Yeah, I mean, I I, I hate when football season's over, bro. Like I could. It really is disappointing. Season, like over the next week, give me like a week off to like recoup and hit the gym a little bit extra harder, and then I'm ready to go for another another football season. But I mean, every time I see Jeff up on the podium, man, I'm just like, I'm excited. It's supposed like. That's how it's supposed to be. We're supposed to be excited about football. We're supposed to be excited about our head coach, about Jeff Brom. It's it's fun to feel Louisville football back like this. I mean, and and I know people are, you know, it's, you know, the recruits and we're curious about the quarterback situation and stuff. But, I mean, we're just going to have to trust Jeff and, you know, trust Jeff's plan. And, I mean, he he's a good one. I'm excited, bro. I, I really am. Yeah, it's it's hard not to be excited because of the fact that you bring back so much. You bring back your top two players on this team and right. Quincy Riley and Ashton Gelati. Your defense is loaded. You reloaded. You get that second, final second pass rusher to go with Ashton and Tyler Barron. You bring back, uh, or excuse me, you get six new defensive backs. You're rebuilding your secondary. And oh, by the way, Vince, can I interest you in the return of MJ Griffin on defense? Like, oh, I'm that... so excited to see MJ back out there, man. As a two-time ACL recovery, I mean, <laughs> I know how hard that that rehab is, and seeing him run, seeing his pops post those clips, truly does bring me a lot of joy to be able to see him. Now, you know, MJ, don't even mess around with spring ball, bro. That's I mean, right. And I go out Jeff... there, take mental reps. We're, we're not even messing with it. Get him to Saturday, and that's the first Saturday uh, and of the season in late August. That's what we're on here, trying to get MJ Griffin to the season. And Jeff Rom talked about that, alluded to the fact that he is healthy and is not going to be a full go in spring, but is necessarily as close to about 100% as you can expect him to be at this point. And that's the same thing with uh, Chuck as well. Didn't you, Jacob, that Chuck is a little bank? He's not hurt. He's not the healthiest. Didn't come in 100%. Yeah, that's he did. And one of the things I found really interesting, Vince, that the, you speaking of him, he talked about Tyler Shuck quite a bit in this press conference. And, you know, you know, my thoughts about the situation. I, I fear that we're headed into a situation again where you have this really, really sound football team that is built to win games. And you need that quarterback to just provide that whatever it is. And with a seventh year guy, you're getting what you get. But Jeff Brom talked about one. They studied the injury history of Tyler Shuck. He said that they went back and they watched every single injury that he occurred during his career. And they felt pretty confident. And like you said, a lot of freak accidents, right? Collarbone is not a, a not a ligament. It's yeah. that's it's different, right? As a guy who has literally the probably least one of the least athletic people you know, I've broken like 14 bones. It's just like I'm not injury prone. I just have very unfortunate freak accidents that break fingers and toes. What I've heard with Tyler is that he needs to go spend a month with Coach Mack and just learn how to slide. And he's probably going to be good. Yeah. But regardless, I was was getting with – I'm not sure what Shuck's availability is, the full length of the spring or whatnot. Jeff didn't really allude to that. I'm curious on how much that develops these younger guys like Pierce, uh, like Brady Allen and and the rest of them in that room. Cause now we can't sit back and say as fans, it's his you know, job. Yeah. Like now it's on Brian and Jeff to get them ready to be able to play. And we'll be able to see some clear improvement, hopefully uh, out of that room and those guys. So, I mean, yeah. that's kind of what I'm excited to see. And, and really it'll provide for a better competition for Tyler uh, come, come fall camp. I'm never a, 
believer of, oh, we're bringing this kid in. He's the guy 100%. He's the starter, whatever. You know, you still want to have a competition if, you know, you don't want to promise a starting job to a kid and have the backup be better. Yeah, and honestly, you know, if he doesn't go through spring camp at 100% healthy, like you said, the best-case scenario is then you have two more guys potentially that are competing with, you know, uh, and Pierce Clarkson and and um, Brady Allen, and also Jeff Brown mentioned Harrison Bailey. You know, yeah, I know right. that. So you have a, a really deep quarterback room that can push Tyler Shuck and you know kind of get the best out of each other. But still, you want to you want to get him healthy, and he he is a huge part of next season, and they are going to need him to play his best football, and they are going to need him to stay healthy. They are going to need him to give everything that he didn't uh, wasn't able to give at Texas Tech and Oregon from a full season standpoint. Um, and so that is what makes this spring very important. And not only that, Vince, but you're not just replacing your quarterback, you're replacing your center and Brian Hudson. So him and Pete Nigra are going to have to get comfortable together. You're going to be replacing your left tackle. Uh, so, you know, Jonathan Mendoza, one of the, the Ivy league transfers coming to Louisville this off season from Yale, uh, as well as, you know, guys that are in the program, like a Michael Gonzalez, like a Renato Brown, like a, you know, some of these, uh, and even, you know, you bring in Monroe Mills and uh, Ruben Uniji from or, uh, from Houston. So a lot of guys that can compete along the line, but you're you're replacing all of them and you're replacing your wide receiver room. So oh, Jeff alluded to, they got a lot of work to do, man. There is a lot of work. And this spring, if, if you're going to be better, right, the margin for error last season when it came to having a great season versus a good season was so small. If you're going to build on that now with the target on your back, with Clemson and Notre Dame on the schedule, even with some of the weaker non-conference games, you, you have a tough go next year. You're going to Death Valley. You're going to South Bend. You are going to need your team to be on the same page. And your wide receivers clicking, your quarterbacks clicking, your depth there. So this spring, Vince, is maybe one of the most important springs in Louisville football of the last decade plus. I mean, it really is oh, because yeah, sure. the, ceil the ceiling like next year, no joke, is the college football playoff. We've ne we haven't been in this position before. Never. I mean, we've this last season we got up to what the team got up to in the top fifteen, top twelve, I think, in college football rankings, and that was the highest since being in the top five in two thousand and sixteen. But never has Louisville been a team that will, you know, maybe start the season close to ranked and have a have a legitimate path to work their way into the college football playoff because it's just a twelve team playoff now. It's not just four, right? So this season, man. I just think Jeff's, Jeff gets it, continuity, entire coaching staff is back. It almost feels like, I'm trying to That's, think through the years in my head, but if you remember the transition from Charlie to Bobby, really almost like, I think it is 2016 where you have Keith Kelsey, you have these guys that are in year two, year three of that coaching staff in their later years. They know what is on the table. They know how to go about their work. I think this team, man, I just think they're built to go get it and go win at the highest level. And 12 wins, 11 wins is a high uh, – that's a high achievement to attain, man. And that's that, That's what you have to get now, Vince, or else it's a little bit disappointing. I mean, that's the tough part here. I Yeah, it's definitely dis – it's disappointing, bro. Like, the the playoffs is your – that's – I mean, and that's where you need to get to almost every single year at this point to have a successful season. Now we'll have into we'll run into instances where I will be happy with the season where it'll be like a loss to Clemson or somebody like that, and we have one or two losses, ten wins, maybe don't make the championship ACC championship, and are you know the 13, 14 seed in a playoff, and we'll be like, all right, it was a good year, but we you know we messed up here and there, 
you, you know, we'll have seasons like that as well. So, yeah, well, the future is bright um, for Louisville football. And Alan's going to kind of allude to that as well in the interview as we talk about the future and what he has seen from being on the inside. Real quickly, Vince, before we transition into bringing Alan in, let's talk a little bit because we haven't been together uh, for a non kind of high level review uh, the last couple of weeks. But Lamar Jackson obviously um, goes down with the Ravens against the Chiefs, uh, doesn't get the chance to compete in the Super Bowl. And um, it's really disappointing, man. I, you know, I saw a lot of the arguments out there and, you know, kind of the back and forth. And I fall at the standpoint of, you know, I get that in that game, they, from an offensive standpoint, went away from what their bread and butter was, which was to run the ball with uh, Gus Edwards and Justice Hill and um, Keegan Mitchell and these guys, right? And um, Todd Monken, that, that's what they did. That's how they got the pass game going. That's what set Lamar up. It felt like the game was called aggressively in a way that didn't necessarily help Lamar. But at the same time, I don't think Lamar helped himself. He was trying to be 2017 Lamar, Superman Lamar, where he's trying to carry the weight of not only the Ravens, Vince, but the city of Baltimore, the narratives that have been spoken on his name for you know the last six years. Yep. There was this pressure on Lamar that I think ultimately just was too much when it came to a guy like Pat Mahomes, who is just calm, cool, collected, and wins. I mean, he's going to go down as the greatest football player of all time. I hate to say that because I was a big Tom Brady guy being with, you know, obviously a Dion Branch guy from Louisville. But, man, I don't know. It just was – it hurt It hurt to see him crying, I mean, man. Like, my soul. It's like my son was crying. I mean, Lamar had a 90.4 PFF passing rating. And as Matt McGavick likes to inform us, that's six years. <laughs> uh, that's passing. Yeah, it's passing. And I definitely didn't just Google that stat so I could have that right here in my back pocket and throw that in there. Never. No, you're well, you're so much more prepared than that, man. So but, much. <laughs> my thing is, is like, look, this is what good teams like the Chiefs, they get you to do stuff like this, to get you out of your game plan, completely out of your game plan. And you don't even realize that you're out of your game plan when you're in the game because you're just trying to get that rhythm back. You're trying to get it back, trying to get it back. You know, maybe we'll hit this alley screen right here and it'll bust and we'll get 12, we'll get on track and we'll start getting downhill. We'll start running our normal stuff. I mean, you, but, but you don't because you end up getting behind the chains on first down, you end up getting behind the chains on second down, and then you're playing catch up ball. And that's just what good teams, well-coached teams like the chiefs, yeah. the 49ers, like that's, that's what they get you to do. It's, it sucks. Because they got outcoached, in my opinion. And I'm I'm not going to – I'm going to put, obviously, the pick. Interception was piss poor. That was terrible on Lamar. Really bad. Uh, but the play calling was so lateral, Jacob, with being with, with the screens, like what I just said, the alley screens right there, uh, just too much downfield stuff. And then, you know, the stupid mistakes from guys like Zay Flowers. Uh, I mean, he's young. I get he's young. But he spent five years at freaking Boston College. Yeah. It, Don't get that he's young crap. He's 26 years old. He knows the severity of the football game he's in. He's not 20. How old he is? Well, yeah, 22. But still, yeah. the point being, you know not to fumble the ball in a pivotal moment of the game. Yeah, like, wrap, the game. like hold on to the football. That's and, – and, like, you can call it immature and all this other crap. But at the end of the day, that's what separates a championship football team from just a good football team. Yeah. That's stuff like that. Who you got in the Super Bowl? Oof, I'm going to go with the Niners. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to roll with the outside zone and uh, 
See, see yeah. I don't I love the way so I, I love the way Kittle blocks. Like I could watch George Kittle block a defensive end all day. I mean, I've watched that clip of him blocking Aiden Hutchinson probably a hundred times now. Uh, but to that point, like, bro, it's hard to go against Pat Mahomes. Yeah. It's that's where I'm at. Like what you just said, like it's he could go down as one of the best ever. And we're we're in the middle of it right now, so that's why I'm like, oh, maybe. Yeah, I mean, what is this going to be? Super Bowl three potentially for him, and he's yes. only been in the NFL for what seven years, six years. I mean that that is insane what they have built, and this season, Vince, to get to the Super Bowl with your wide receiving core being made up of Rasheed Rice, Marquez Valdez Scantling, Kadarius Tony, and Travis Kelsey, who honestly had probably one of his worst seasons, just like top to bottom in a long time. I mean, he just wasn't good the beginning of the season I mean, he's really come on late but um yeah see, I, I, you say I'm, that you say that you say he's really come on late but what i see is just stepping up dangerous supposed to do like that's this, right man this is that's why you have travis kelsey to sign sign to the x amount of deal that he's on that's why you don't let guys like rob gronkowski travis kelsey off your team and why tom brady and pat mahomes are so insistent on having that good tight end because it is the nightmare is I've said it a hundred times on the show. It's the nightmare matchup. It's awful. Yeah. I'm going to get Liam to be a tight end. That seems like a good position. He's a fast kid. So maybe he can block and he can run. I don't know. How tall is he? Five ten on a good day. Maybe closer to like five, nine. Taylor is. She is about five, seven, but her father was six, four. So Oh, uh, we've oh. got some height on her side of the family and Liam has got longer limbs at this point. So it's looking as if he might develop some height, uh, and some arm we'll length and leg length. So we'll see. Starts at five. <laughs> I'll be over with my brick walls and send them up in the backyard. And you're just going to have to keep Taylor inside and make sure she doesn't see that. Okay. That's right. I can do that. Um, and then finally here, um, again, I was really hoping for a Ravens Lion Super Bowl so that Better we could sleep, just bro. it really sleep. is. Um, I gotta tell you, man, I, I don't know how to feel with guys like Peyton Siva, Gorgie Zhang, and now Teddy Bridgewater retiring from their first profession in life. Like it's I, I I'm starting to see gray in my hair a lot more. My hairline is receding a little bit, and then these guys are retiring. Like, I don't need any more signs of being old, man. It's just it's it's crazy to see, but when you talk about um, what Louisville football is at just its core, um, I, I don't think there is a better example of that than Teddy Bridgewater. And to see him get to go to the conference championship, um, and I know he didn't get to play much as a Lion, but to just be a part of that in an organization that just hasn't gotten to win, like, and for him to be – able to influence that and be able to be a part of that in his final season. Just it sets him up perfectly for his next step in life, which if you've missed um, is big news. And that's being the head coach of Miami Northwestern high school, taking over for his former teammate, Michael Lee Harris, um, which is really interesting. So uh, yeah, man, it's, that's, it's, that's going to be so cool for him. I mean, they got to play Trinity. We got to make that happen. Get him up here. You got any connections? God, yeah, <laughs> just just pray for that one. Yeah, God, you got two chains. One said, "I prayed to God for a Bentley truck." Vince Vince prayed to God for a Miami Northwestern Trinity matchup so he could meet Teddy. But no, man. I mean, I think every Louisville fan that I know on or saw on Twitter shared something about Teddy. You know, it's just I remember being a kid outside 
the Schnellenberger Center, and I can't remember the conversation I had with Teddy, but just the fact that he took the time to, you know, even have yeah. a conversation. Like, that's stuff that you remember whenever you're yeah in the middle of being a student athlete yourself, and some you might have just lost or had a shitty practice, and some kid comes up and just wants a high five or wants you to holler at him for five seconds. You know, it means the absolute world, and that's what guys like Teddy Bridgewater are. It's, I mean, he was, he's an idol for everybody in Louisville. Yeah, it's only no a matter. Of t- it's only a matter of time before you know, this. His name's already up in the rafters, isn't it? No, no. no. Yeah, it's not. only a matter. Of time. I think. Yeah, I think that number five has got to be the next to go up there. Um, well, and he now, finally got a hairstyle that fits him too. It seemed like Teddy always had a weird hairline. Yeah, no, no, I definitely agree. Um, unfortunately, us big forehead guys don't do well when your hairline doesn't fit. So hey, there's nothing better than crooked hairline, brace face Teddy holding up the yeah, up the Sugar Bowl MVP. That's right, man. My my one of the the best moments that I have of Teddy Bridgewater was my sophomore year in college, and we are um, one year apart. So Teddy would have been a freshman, I think. Trying to think back, Teddy might have actually been in the same class as me. I cannot remember, but we were in one of those massive auditorium science biology classes with the mic that you know the teachers on the at the front of the class. And there's just so many students, and I will never ever forget this professor saying, "Teddy, you may be good at football, but you won't sleep in my class." And he has his head down on the table, the hood up over his head, um, and it's right after he came. I think it was my – it was his sophomore season. Um, or maybe I, I – whatever. I don't know. But it's right after he had started playing. Uh, so I can't remember how that went down. But I just – like that was just so funny to me. It was just like that Teddy Bridgewater got called out in class for having his head on – his his hat on and sleeping. Like just such a regular one of us. But we were so honored to to watch him and have that those defining moments like the Sugar Bowl, like the Cincinnati game, um, you know, like the Rutgers game, like just all of those games where Teddy really showed what he was and how important it was to win, represent his his family, represent his hometown, and just be a great quarterback, man. I mean, he really did. The whole Miami th- – I mean, like, they're, that class is the Miami – to. I mean, for me at least, that is the Miami to Louisville thing. Like it's Teddy and them boys that started it. Teddy is the reason we got two two at well. Like that's how it like rolls in my head. All right, man. Then you got and Teddy, like, Michael Lee, Eli Rogers. I mean that list of the Miami Northwestern, and then the my and I know they had that Florida, Florida connection for a while, right? We're not we're not downplaying that, but that's yeah. Yeah. that when you talk to guys when we've had the JV and Hawkins is on when we've had the uh, you know the South the South Florida guys they what do they say? It's Teddy. I grew up watching Teddy. I grew yeah. up you know I those, saw Lamar. He's a one name ball player. Yeah, you got to people love to talk about that in the NBA world and like Louisville, in a sense, has their own, you know, couple one name guys. Yeah. And Teddy, Teddy Lamar. being yeah. one of them. Yeah. Yeah. I love the graphic that Miami Northwestern shared. I don't know if you saw this uh, in the press release, uh, like announcing it. It was him on the sidelines. Oh, uh, he would have still been at Louisville, I think. Or no, no, he, no, no, no. Sorry. He would have not because he was, yeah, 2-2 was 2018. Yeah. So. And if you know the story, Tutu broke all of Teddy's passing and, and running re- or all of his records at Miami Northwestern to see that just like, that's just so cool to me, man. That is so cool. And uh, it is going to be, I hope he doesn't become like an Andrew Luck where he just like fades off and we never hear from him again. I, I hope that this only opens the door to Teddy pressing the train horn, Teddy getting his number retired. Let's get Teddy a on the pink seat. look, Lottie, if you're listening, a five mile per hour road makes a lot more sense than an eight mile per hour road, right? Like let's, let's yeah. get Teddy's number retired, his Jersey retired. 
And shit, man, I don't care if you get Lamar Jackson, Teddy uh, Bridgewater high-fiving each other. Let's get the statues going. Let's make it happen. That man deserves the world from this program for what he gave and what he was a part of. And uh, we would be remiss to not mention that on the show tonight. So cheers to him. We could uh, be remiss to not mention how awful Teddy's swag was at Louisville, too. He had the worst Louisville swag out of anybody. He had them T-shirts going all the way down to, like, his elbows sometimes under that Tech Fit jersey, bro. Uh, I hated it. Yeah, yeah. But the glove, though, was revolutionary. That's like, if you sick. remember his pro day, it was like, will he throw with the glove? Will he not throw with the glove? Yeah, What's that was do? huge. And then he threw – I think he didn't throw with the glove and they're like but he didn't throw with the glove so what is that really i remember reading an article in high school about the moisture in teddy bridgewater's hands (laughs) whether or not he's going to be throwing the ball (laughs) with the glove yeah man it was teddy teddy two gloves man like that was what a what a time man so uh well as we we transition here let's go ahead and, and get to the interview this is a great um from the pink seats podcast interview that will go into the the upper echelon of of great interviews with the john grenards with the art carmody's with some of the the guys we've had on the show and i just really appreciate um the perspective that alan brings and understanding and recognizing the weight of his name and his family here and what that means to this program and ultimately playing for jeff brom so without further ado vince let's transition and let's Let's chat with Alan Houston the third. All right, we get right into it, and uh, it's the off season. We got spring football coming up, but we we take the chance where we can to tell some of the cool stories of Louisville football. And Vince, this fits right in with where we just were with reviewing offense and defense and talking through 2023. Uh, and as we mentioned in the intro, one of the best stories on this team that you probably haven't heard, and that's Alan Houston the third. Alan, thank you for joining us tonight. Excited to have you here. And we are pumped to talk through not only your story, but the Dream Bowl and everything. But before we do that, how are you, brother? Good, man. Just happy to be on here. You know, I'm excited. Yeah, well, that's great. Love to hear that. Um, how has life been treating you since the season ended? I know you've obviously kind of stayed more in football mode uh, than most have traveling to play uh, in a pretty cool game, which, again, we'll get to here in a second. But uh, how are you doing? What's going on in your life? How's everything going? Good, man. It's just it's just weird. You know, I'm done, done especially playing college football. So, you know, my master's program is online, so I just got a lot of free time now. So just looking for jobs and you know, go on a couple of trips every now and again. So, but it's been fun though. It's, you know, it's a new change, but I like it, you know? Yeah. It's always like, I struggled the most with that was finding what to do with my free time. And you can only work out for like two and a half hours, three hours for so many, you know, days in a row before you're like, what, what am I doing here? You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I work out in the morning. I'm just like, all right, well, (laughs) we go do the rest of the day. So are you in, are you still in Louisville or have you gone back home up uh, in the New York area? So I was just home for a little bit, but I'm in Louisville now. Um, and I'll be moving out like sometime early March because I don't have to be here for classes. So I'm just going to go home, um, start interviewing for a couple of places and then, you know, just hanging out with the fam really. Yeah, man, that's awesome. Do you want to work like in New York City? I mean, obviously working corporate life here in Louisville is a little bit different than working in New York. And I would imagine that Ivy League education probably will put you in like a tier of echelon coming out of college, like from a job perspective. Do you have a location desired or are you willing to kind of go wherever the, the work takes you? 
Um, well, I want to get into sports agencies. I want to get on the side of representation. So a lot of those are in New York. So um, I was just talking to my parents. They're like, yeah, you might as well just move back home and kind of get that started, try to lock a place down. So that's kind of the plan right now. That's kind of why I stayed in Louisville too. It didn't have, didn't want to leave anywhere is because I knew everybody. I knew, you know, the people to talk to, to get a job here, get a job there. Uh, sports agency, you definitely want to be up in New York or something. My girl, uh, my, uh, sis, my sister's boyfriend, he's working at a sports agency up in Baltimore right now. So it seems like, I mean, Louisville is definitely not the spot to be for that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you never know. I just, knew that I just I grew up in New York I mean I've only been here since June so mm-hmm. a lot of the people that I know and just the you know kind of the lifestyle I'm used to is being in New York like I lived like 40 minutes outside the city so how much more slow how much to. more slowed down was it coming out here to oh man it was different <laughs> like, I, <think laughs> I, got, I got here in the summer and uh, we would train from like you know we'd have a workout in the morning and another one in the afternoon but we'd be done at like 2 30 so i would just like hang out in my dorm like let me go find some cool restaurants the food is really good here i like the food here but um as far as just like things to do like with your boys like it's kind of not a whole lot but you can make it fun you know if you have a good what, group of guys what would you fun. like i'm not i'm not from new york i've only been there a few times my sister and brother-in-law live there now but like what do you do for fun as like a high school college kid in new york right because like as an adult you go out and, and this might be what you do in college but you go you you know restaurants you go shopping hit the bar see a play you know maybe see a knicks game what what kind of does that look like for for teenage alan in new york kind of you know running around doing whatever Oh, uh, yeah. So like you said, I mean, the city is, I mean, it's like a zoo. There's like so many people and you can get into pretty much anything you want to. Like there's nightlife, there's, you know, a lot of restaurants, there's Knicks games. I mean, there's uh, like Broadway stuff. And that's, that stuff's kind of expensive. Like you can just go, I mean, like anywhere else, just play pickup. I used to play a lot of pickup with my boys, pick up basketball, football, or stay on my boy's house. But like on weekends, yeah, we'd go to the city, city, and have some fun. So it, it was cool. That's are you awesome, Yankees man. Yankees or a Mets fan? You said Yankees or Mets? Yeah, because I'm I a grew up. Oh, okay, yeah. So we good. But uh, <laughs> there you go. I mean, I'm not huge into baseball, but like when I was younger, we used to go to a couple Mets games. So I just kind of just grew up a Mets fan. I mean, not a Mets Yankees fan. But I haven't really been keeping up too much um, recently. But yeah, I'm definitely a Yankees fan. All right, I I had to I had to yeah you got your ask in there and you got your lines. All right, let me ask you this, and then we'll jump into talking about the Dream Bowl. But obviously, I would imagine you have an invested stake in the New York Knicks and watching and following. I have loved watching them this year, man. Not only is Jalen Brunson an absolute baller, but Dante Divincenzo. I've been a fan of his since he played at Villanova. I mean, you got to feel pretty good about the Knicks this year, man. Yeah, we got a squad. I mean, it's. It's been a long time coming. Like it's, it's hard. It's hard being a Knicks fan. Like every year we think we're gonna do well, and then you know just stuff happens, and you're you're not. But I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, my dad. So my dad played there, but he's been working for the Knicks ever since I was a kid. So like mm-hmm. he retired and immediately started working there. So I was growing up, going to games, going to 
practice facility, you know, hanging with the guys and stuff. So I was always, I was always, you know, a Knicks fan. I didn't really have a choice. Sure. Um, sure. And yeah, you, that was, so was but cool. the, that was fun. New York Knicks era. If I'm imagining age range wise, that's Amari Stoudemire, Carmelo Anthony, yeah. New York Knicks, a little bit of Lynn Sanity, New York Knicks. Like you've yeah. been there for some of the high moments. I, it's definitely been some lows, but there's been some peaks yeah. there that I'm sure have been fun yeah. to be on the inside of. Right. Yeah. We always had exciting players, but, Come to playoffs, you know, it's never really. <laughs> oh man, I mean, we had some runs, but nothing like I think we can do this year. This year is gonna be it's gonna be interesting. Absolutely, so. man. Absolutely. Well, let's yeah. talk a little. Let's talk a little football. Let's transition it. And part of the stories I mentioned was I wanted to talk to you about the Dream Bowl because when you talk about football, I don't think anybody mentions Japan in that conversation in terms of one, even maybe knowing that they play football over there, but two, the quality of football. And as we mentioned in the intro, this is a game kind of related to the Ivy League. And so I would imagine that your connection there, which is where we really want to start, is playing at Brown and now being a graduate transfer, kind of being eligible for that. So tell us a little bit about how you got involved um, and what your thoughts were once they, you know, kind of reached out. I believe your your head coach at Brown is involved uh, really closely. So just kind of tell us about what that was like. So basically they – the Ivy League had done this – it was – basically an all-star game for seniors or seniors slash fifth years because of the COVID thing. But um, so they were doing it like 20 years ago. Um, I don't know how exactly it was set up, but they stopped for a while and then they brought it back. Last year was the first year they've done it in like 20 years. And so basically um, my head coach was coaching. My old head coach from Brown was coaching this year. And we had some other guys, but dudes around the league, transferred out for their fifth years sure so they still consider a lot of us like ivy league players so um my coach had asked me and some other transfers and also some other guys who stayed at brown all senior fifth year players and then it was like some other of the best players from other ivy teams um so i got so we all got the invite we were there for nine days it was like 50 of us um and it was dope it was a fun trip i mean <laughs> Japan was crazy. It's so different over there. That's what um, we're gonna. That's what we're gonna get yeah. into. So, so yeah. my question for you, like I've traveling for me is going to Destin, Florida, or like, <laughs> <You're right>. so, <laughs> like yeah. how, how this man was, operates in like a five mile bubble. Now. Don't let it fool <laughs> you. Like it's J Town or nowhere. <laughs> yeah. So what you know, sightseeing wise, what was your favorite spot to go to, and uh, you know. I mean, you were there for nine days, like you said. So, I mean, y'all definitely had time to go walk around and everything. Yeah, so basically our days were like we practiced in the morning. Then then um, it was like the Ivy League and like um, some representatives from Japan and the embassy like basically planned our whole trip. So we would do like some tour, touring throughout the day. Like we'd go to like a shrine or a temple or just walk around some cities. But then like after six o'clock, we were all free. So – we went to um, cities like Yokohama, Shinjuku. That I mean, were so fun. Like it was pretty. It was pretty much like New York City, kind of like big city, a lot of people. Um, and it was just fun. We just go to you know different clubs and restaurants. I think it was a lot cheaper there. So oh, you really right. get your bang for a buck for a lot of stuff. Yeah. Like yeah. yeah. So what was your favorite eat. food yeah. spot? Are you a sushi guy? Oh yeah, I love sushi. Yeah, it was it was so it was like the best sushi I ever had. Yeah, it's a level <laughs> up from Sapporo, right? Like it's that. Oh yeah, Sapporo's <laughs> yeah. good though. Yeah, yeah I right. just went to I literally just went to Hibachi before this to, to prep for the for the podcast. Oh, yeah. 
No, but it was good. I mean, honestly, my favorite thing, though, was um, – I don't know if you guys heard of Wagyu, like Wagyu beef. Sure. It's like this um, basically steak from, like, Japanese cows. And it's supposed to be, like, really, like, high-quality meat. And I had, like, a burger in this place called Shogun Burger. Uh-huh. It was all Wagyu beef. It was, like, the best burger I've ever had. And they say you can't even touch – like, you're not supposed to touch that with your fingers for very long because there's so much fat in it that yeah. you will- – or to melt the fat with your fingers. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I'm, like I'm the really. The would like fall apart. Like, <laughs> we're eating it. It was, it was so good though. So it's I got to ask about the practice schedule too. Like what, what was that like uh, for you guys for those nine days? Cause I, I mean, obviously you have to practice as well during that. So you guys like hitting a morning thing. Was there a jet lag type deal that y'all had to deal with like a day off and then start getting into practice or practice before? So basically we got there. Um, Sunday, and we got there at night. Um, so the next day, we practiced at like we practiced the same time every day. It was like an hour and a half practice at ten thirty. I mean, they were light. I mean, you have fifty guys trying to learn a single playbook. I mean, they made like a really small playbook, which really basic stuff. Um, so we would install a little bit. We would never go live, really. Um, just run, you know, live drills. We weren't hitting. Um, the practices were smooth. I mean, they weren't like training camp, like, you know, in any yeah. other college program. It was, it was pretty straightforward. So it was, it wasn't too bad. I, I mean, Jacob, I'm sure, I mean, they're Ivy league guys. That playbook was not thin. There's no way. <laughs> right. <laughs> they look at it one time. Oh, and oh it was thin. It was only 360 pages. I didn't have to. You know. <laughs> no, I mean, right, man. you'd be surprised. Some of us, you know, we just get in there to play football, but, <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was fun. It, it was fun for sure. So how was the game though? Like, so t- tell us, it's against a Japanese all-star team, right? Like their top, I think it's called the X League, like their top players. Yeah. First of all, like what's, I'm curious, just like this, the makeup of their team. Like, is it big dudes, little dudes? Like you got Bellerman playing like the, the under 150 pound football. Like, was it that? It feels like you could walk out there to like a Bishop Sycamore type thing to where it's just like, <laughs> all right, y'all probably should not be playing them. What was that like? I mean, that's what, we didn't really know what to expect. I mean, they have two American players. I think it's like two to five American players on their team. But, I mean, they were all – it was like their national team. So, they were all like from 18 to like 35. So, yeah, Playing it was, it was crazy. Yeah, yeah, it was crazy. Um, but, I mean, I hate to say it. Like, they, they did beat us, which is – you wow. know, you don't want to. You don't want to go there and lose. Yeah, <laughs> but, I mean, sure. But we lost like uh, ten to five. We we didn't really. I mean, we didn't run the. We ran the ball like pretty much eighty percent of the time. Um, we didn't really throw too much, so I could see why. I mean, we lost like it was hard because we were all new and had to play together, and we didn't really have a crazy play. Like, I mean, they've been practicing for four months, sure. so. This was like their Super Bowl. Oh, and, I'm sure it was. Yeah, this is like, yeah, it, it, they were definitely um, ready to play. I mean, they weren't even that much bigger than us. They were just some guys were just old. Like I had like a 33 year old corner guarding me. Oh, and that's um, him right there. He probably had like four kids in the yeah. same life, and he was yeah. not be embarrassed by some college kid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, but we were all like obviously super upset. Like you don't want to yeah, sure. go there all the way that all the way there and lose. But um. 
Yeah, the game was fun, though. I mean, it was just like there were like no like hash marks on the field or you couldn't see the sideline. Oh, no. How did that affect you as it a receiver was... with your alignment? I mean, I'm sure, like you said, like playbooks, you weren't getting too detailed with things, but I mean, still you'd like to have some form of a spacing with uh, your formations and how you align. So how was that for you? It was weird. I mean, at first um, I was like, I'm really close. I played outside. I was like, I'm really oh. close to the slot right now. Just because I had no idea where the sideline was. And I didn't right. want to run around and go out of bounds. But I mean, just kind of get used to. It. You really just have to like figure it out, like just play and just play, like figure it out. What was know? the What was the crowd size like? Were they Were they into Were they into it? Like, I mean, I mean yeah, no, they were like because football is like just becoming popular there. Um, uh-huh. So they had probably like I mean they had probably like thirty thousand people, but it was in the Olympic Stadium, so it was yes, huge, yes, huge stadium, which was really that was dope. Like it was it was huge. Um, but yeah, after the game, the fans were still like cheering for us, even though we lost. They were just like so happy that Americans <laughs> were there playing. They didn't know like what was going on, I guess. But but uh, it, yeah, it was funny. It was fun. But the the, the crowd was definitely into it, so it was cool. That's dope. I'm je- I'm jealous that you got to go. I would have loved. I would have killed for that opportunity to go over there and. Right, they don't know that you're not Tyreek Hill. That you're not. You know, they have no clue. Yeah, right. Right. Just, yeah. They would be out here thinking that Vince is, you know, Brian Urlacher, just roam in the middle of the field like this <laughs> they would have linebacker. No clue what a fullback is. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. We'll be right back after this commercial break. From the Pink Seats podcast is brought to you by the fine folks at Frankfurt Avenue Liquor and Wine. You can find them at two one one five Frankfurt Avenue, right next to the Manhattan Project. Full bar service and a full liquor store. Stop in there today and tell them from the Pink seats podcast sent you vacation starts with va whether you're feeling beachy mountainy or every e in between you'll find all that you love all in one trip to virginia start yours at virginia.org well let's transition just a little bit i want to talk about your football experience um prior to coming to louisville and just ivy league in general you talk about playing with the Ivy League guys. What was that like, you know, being at that level? We see, you know, maybe one Ivy game, uh, Ivy League game a year on CBS, I think, that's Harvard and, and Yale, you know, the big rivalry game. But outside of that, you know, we don't really hear much about that until it comes to be graduate transfer season. So what was your experience like playing at uh, at Brown? Um, you know, it's it's interesting because, like, the Ivy League is still Division One FCS, so you have – the same schedule, you know, as far as lifting, um, meetings, practice, meals, all that stuff's the same, but you still have the same money and fans as, you know, the power five level. So you really like have to depend on like your teammates just to like get through everything. Cause you're not getting the same attention as you're doing the FBS and you just have to, you know, take advantage of your relationships with your teammates and just enjoy it. I mean, it's still football. Like you're at the end of the day, you're still going out there playing hard for your teammates and just trying to win games. So you don't really um, think about all the other stuff, you know, at a certain point just because you're so consumed by, you know, just the next game you have. But it was cool, though. I mean, you definitely have a little more time in the off offseason. Um, I mean, you still have the winter workouts and spring ball. Um, but, yeah, the only difference is just, you know, the fans. Obviously, the competition is different. Um, just the fans and, like, the money coming in from, you know, donors mm-hmm. and stuff that's really it yeah what was it like for you managing uh the academic side uh, being a student i mean it's 
I, I mean, I've been a student athlete before, but not at that caliber of a student athlete. I mean, you've been through some of the, you've been through the Louisville classes. It's not crazy. It's not the craziest of stuff going on over here. And that was a sport administration guy too. So, I mean, it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't too complicated. So what was it like being, you know, managing both of that? Obviously, I mean, Yeah. Ivy League, so you want to be more attentive to, uh, I don't know, your books, wouldn't you? Yeah, well, you don't really have a choice. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, right, you couldn't be eligible. yeah, <laughs> yeah, you got to be eligible. You got to pass three out of four in the fall to be eligible. Um, but my definitely the hardest year was my freshman year and my senior year. Freshman year, just because, you know, you come to training camp and then you have all these classes with people that are way smarter than you and, million things you know, at you. Like, really, yeah, these people, like, really enjoy school. Like, so, I mean, like, obviously we got in, but, like, a lot of the players in the Ivy League, like, it's definitely easier. I don't want to say it's easier to get in if you play sport, but they have, you know, you have they'll a little figure bit of an it advantage. out. We Yeah, have academic yeah, advisors. yeah. We have people that make our schedules for us and everything. But, I mean, still have to go to class, like you said. Yeah, exactly. But um, it was definitely hard. I mean, just only because um, – standard of work that's required just because you I mean you're with like the smartest kids in the world you know so you have to you don't have a choice but to like you know catch up and you know stay in line with everybody else but i will say the thing about brown which was nice um you could take any class you want pass fail and that was like one of the main reasons why when other ivies like you can't really do that but for brown you could pick your own major you can make your own major and um They let you take whatever class you want, pass fail for a grade, and you didn't get punished for it. Like, obviously, it's not smart to take everything pass fail. If, you know, you show your resume to somebody, you just bunch of passes. Yeah, but it is nice that they give, they just give you that. Like, if you, I mean, depends on your major, obviously. Like, I had roommates who did, like, biomedical engineering and all this, you know, really hard stuff. But I was more of a organizational studies um, business person, so it wasn't that. I mean, it was definitely hard, but, like, It could have been way harder for me, you know. Now you got the degree, bro. Kudos to you for making Yeah, it. That's yeah, right, man. I almost, I, did, I almost mean, didn't make serious. it out. You know? <laughs> what was your What was your hardest class? Like, if is there one that just immediately comes to like mine? Honestly, was like macro or microeconomics. Like, I think I failed that pretty easily. It was like, no, business not for me. I mean, I work in marketing, and advertising now, but like at the time, no chance I'm passing that. I'm a sports sports admin major with communication minor, so you know what I'm about. What was what was the hardest class at Brown? Uh, I had this one class, it was like, it was like math a hundred, but it was like multivariable calculus. And Those are big words. I just I'd rather not couldn't, hear. Them. I, it's like, it wasn't English. I was, it was hard. Like, I don't, I didn't even pass it. I took another class that was the same credit for my major. I was like, I cannot do this. It was, uh, like, I'm not a big math person. So I was like, this is crazy. Like, it was just,
but just through scouting reports and you know just people talking on the team in the locker room whatever like we hear i heard his name a bunch um and then i watched his film um once he committed here i was like yeah, this dude's a dog i mean i think we'll have a definitely a chance to play here and we'll have an impact for sure um but yeah, i think a lot of i mean there have been a lot of transfers from the ivy league to power five schools recently um, so I think it's just good for the Ivy League just to get some recognition that, you know, there still are some legit players in that, you know, conference. So I think it's pretty cool. Do you think Ivy League guys like yourself are looking at schools like Louisville and Ohio State, Michigan, for that matter, like I can treat this fifth year like a professional athlete and maybe lean a little bit less. I mean, not lean a little bit less, but not focus more on ball opposed to less – you know, on my academic side, do you think that's why guys are starting? I mean, Ivy League's always had dogs. So, I mean, do you think that's why teams are starting to go out and grab those type of guys? Um, I don't know. I mean, it's different for everybody. You know, some dudes may just want to go get a master's out of it while using yeah. their football. Some trying to go to the league. Um, some are just trying to see how they do at that level. But I just think it just came from the, the COVID year, you know, that extra eligibility that – well, the thing is with the Ivy League, like, you can't do a grad year there. You have to delay your graduation, your undergrad, and take a semester off or whatever. So – I didn't know that. If you're just, yeah, it's a crazy – it's a crazy rule. So, um, as a regular senior, you would have to take your spring off in order to transfer someone else somewhere else. So, I think a lot of guys were just like, I'm just going to graduate, take my year somewhere else – see yeah. what happens if I'm good enough to go to the league I'll you know ball out if not I'll just get a master's out of it so I mean it's opened a lot of doors for people do you think that like and I know you can only probably speak from your experience and, and I'm curious maybe you can answer this from your experience but we're our most seeking football or our most seeking where they can go from an educational standpoint right because you know like Brown to, you know, some schools, you know, is considered from an academic standpoint, you know, a lesser than or step down. So are most guys looking with that in mind? Like I want to go to a Wake Forest or I want to go to a Duke or I want to go to a Stanford or are they saying I want to go to, you know, play the best football school I can go to? I would say the majority of kids are just trying to play ball, you know, like I think just – you know, you watch all these college games on TV and, you know, from Ivy League, you don't really get that experience. So I think a lot of people just wanted like a big school experience, you know, playing in front of 60,000 people, you know, play against the best guys. Cause, you know, we're still competitors. We're Division one athletes. You want sure. to play at the best right. level you can. So I think that was a big part of it, too. Jokes on, jokes on a lot of P5 schools. I mean, you know, somebody <laughs> would, would would beat P five schools, but uh, I don't know. I mean, there definitely is a difference. Oh, um, I, I don't know. We went two and ten one year, and I'm fairly confident that a couple I believe. <laughs> Probably, I honestly, know. man. But there are some, let's let's get better. What, what, what went into your decision a little bit to leave Brown and uh, hop in the portal? And for that matter, what was your recruitment like? It's a different day and age in college mm -hmm. athletics with you know how kids can just get in the transfer portal and go to another school so yeah it was it was definitely weird like being like a recruit again compared to like in high school um but i i just my decision was it was one based on the fact that i didn't want to delay my graduation i didn't yeah. want to do another another fall semester at brown and just not do anything my senior spring so i just wanted to graduate in may um 
And then once I knew that, I was like, all right, let's find the best um, football program where I could study um, sports administration. Nice. So going to that. Yeah, I'm doing SPAD. Shout out SPAD. Fellow Shout SPAD right SPAD. here, man. Yes, sir. Um, so, yeah, I was talking to a couple schools. I mean, I had some – I was talking to some, some smaller D1s like um, Tennessee State, Butler, um, Robert Morris. Um, and then I had another – I had a walk-on spot from Oregon and Louisville. So it was just a couple schools, really. And, um, like, coming to Louisville was, like, a no-brainer for me. Yeah. I mean, I visited sure. Oregon. It was dope. Like, that was – that would also been a great opportunity. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it was such a great visit. Um, but just, you know, my family being from here and it was also an exciting time for the team. You know, Brahm was coming. We had a bunch of new transfers and people were really excited about it. So like, this is perfect. And I get to study, you know, what I want to. It was like, this is, you know, no brainer. Got to take one visit to Oregon though. Yeah. I mean, did you get some oh, gear yeah, at least? Too. Did you get some gear? No, they didn't let, they didn't let oh, me do anything. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I I've never been on cool a visit anywhere. Though. Okay, that's secondary. <laughs> the equipment team will come in and be like, do not give your recruits the glove. Yeah, don't <laughs> give them the glove. Don't give them the jersey. Yeah, so yeah. speaking on your connection to Louisville, obviously most people around here, you know, they hear your name and they immediately know your family. Your grandfather obviously is a major historical figure in Louisville basketball, and your dad is a Ballard High School alumni with probably one of the more interesting Louisville basketball recruiting stories of all time. Did it did it feel to you at all like you were destined to end up back in Louisville at some point? Like, or was this just truly like it came out and it's like, man, like this is, this is this is just the it makes so much sense. I mean, when I went to Brown, I had no idea that like COVID was going to happen or I would have another year. So if you did, you'd be a very very rich and powerful human being. I just want to throw (laughs) that out there. If you had known that prior, yeah, no, but go ahead. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. So like I had no idea for a while that I was, you know, this would happen. So when when I entered the portal and they gave me a chance to play here, I was like, didn't really hit me until I got here, you know. I was like, Mm -hmm. wow, this this is cool, man. Just visiting and everything. It was so cool. Um, but yeah, it was awesome. I just feel like I had to, you know, once I had the opportunity, just cause you know, my family history here. So yeah, I was excited about it. Yeah. Now I'm sure, you know, you go about doing, you know, some of the things that you all do from an event standpoint, community standpoint. And I would imagine that there was a, an old timer or two who wanted to come up and tell you a story about your, your grandfather or your dad. Like, was there anything like, did that happen? And what, is there anything that kind of stood out to you that you either learned or that just was kind of like just funny to you to hear from somebody who had no connection to your family. I mean, like it has, ha- it has happened a lot, but it's usually like when I'm paying like a bill and people like see my name and they're like, you got a crazy name. Like there was a guy who <laughs> used to play here. Name. He had the same name. I was like, yeah, that's my dad. And they're like, like, whoa, it's just like funny, but I mean, it's cool. It's, it's an honor, you know, like just to be able to have the same name represent, you know, my family, you know, playing football and just being here. It's definitely a cool experience, but yeah, it definitely, definitely happened a couple of times. I was going to say, I could, we could go down to Wagner's down there by Trevor. Right, that's what I'm thinking, man. Morning, it's Wagner's. Yeah. There's an old guys sitting at the bar right there. I'm <laughs> your name. And each one will have an individual story about your pops. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> yeah. No doubt. Yeah. Speaking of that, I mean, basketball and football for you, I mean, obviously that's the toss up and the decision, I'm sure growing up, how did you get into football? 
And uh, you know, what kind of what kind of basketball player were you? Could you could you go out there and hoop for the cards right now if well, I mean, we do need you, so could you go yeah. for the cards right now? I mean, so I, I played my whole life. Like I grew up in the gym. Like my, me and my dad brought me everywhere. Like and I mean I like to think I was pretty good. I just wasn't that tall. I mean, I'm only like six feet, but you know, I, I played like a, a lot. <laughs> um yeah, short kings, I guess, you know. <laughs> right. um, um, but no, it was um I played a lot of basketball. So I didn't start playing football until I was like ten. Just because I thought the pads looked really cool. I didn't really know anything about football, but then I just started liking it more. I was like, this is different. Like you know, I had five sisters growing up, so I wanted to hit somebody sometimes. So I would just always, you know, put the pads on, just mess around in my basement, whatever. But um I played both sports all the way through high school, but once my sophomore year hit, I knew like if I was gonna keep playing football, like I was I was really skinny and pretty much straight hooper at that point. But I knew like if I was gonna keep playing, I had to get stronger. So my just body started changing. I started getting better at football, and I was getting recruited more um, for football than I was for basketball. So then, like my junior year, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna try to do this in college, and um. I just like didn't look back. I was like, this is this is what I'm gonna do. So uh, just re- imagine you're in this scenario with me, okay? This is uh, I very much understand. This is very unlikely, but let's just imagine that you get a call tomorrow morning from Josh Hurd, and he says that he needs your help fielding a five man basketball team from your teammates in the Louisville basketball program, and one of those can be yourself. Who are the four teammates you're bringing with you to be starters for Louisville basketball? It's a great question. Um, I played a couple times here, so I don't know how good everyone is, but Debbie said Q, some uh, you, might, you might have some teammates that'll get really offended by what you're about yeah, to say. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but definitely uh, Quincy Riley's nice. Like He can hoop. Quincy can hoop. Um, I would say he actually transferred. I forgot this portal is crazy. But my boy um, – Will Fowles, the freshman here. Okay. He just went to yeah. App State, but he he could play too. Um, he's a dog. Um, I would say um Kewan Brown, freshman running back, Bama. We call him Bama. He was he was good. Um, so that's three. I need one more. Yeah, um, just one more, man. That's tough. I didn't really play with a whole lot of people. Oh, I would go Jaden Thompson. Okay. Okay. Yeah, receiver Dan Thompson. Very nice. Josh Minkins, I know another guy that hit the portal. He was uh, a, a Ballard High School alumni, played football and basketball. Pretty nice, too. So he could be your sixth man. There you go, man. That's why receivers and defensive backs <laughs> are going to get killed. Yeah, man. Yeah. But you will be for sure celebrating a lot throughout the game. Like, even if you're down 20, <laughs> yeah. you might celebrate. They're so hard. They're fine. That, <laughs> right. That's the group that can press the entirety of the game. Not yeah. Get- because they just run all day at practice. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I actually, I'd actually trust that and probably take that five right now. That's right, man. That's, that's, that's right, right, man. I think the game's going on. It is. It is. <laughs> well, tell me a little bit about uh, just talking about on the field stuff. What was the relationship dynamics like for you in the the offensive meeting rooms with Coach Brom, uh, Coach Brian Brom, and then Garrick McGee, uh, the wide receivers coach? Um, so, I mean, I was definitely with Coach McGee the most just because you're, you're, you're sure. with your position group the most. And, I mean, shout-out Coach McGee. He's he's a great dude. Like, he was a really cool coach. He has a lot of experience. Um, 
and he just knew how to reach, you know, the receiver room. You have all kind of different guys, you know, you have, it's just a wide range of personalities in those kind of rooms. <laughs> hey, I've been, he in that, yeah. I've been in the receiver room. That's the group I was with whenever I, I was with Gunnar Brewer at his time here at Louisville. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, I, I get 100% what you're saying. You have people that won't stop talking the entirety of the meeting and are on their phones and not paying attention. And you have the guys that are locked in and everything in between that. Dudes that are eating yeah. food. Uh, <laughs> everything. Yeah, you're going to mix a little bit of everything. But I think Coach McGee managed our room the best, you know, anyone could. He was a, he was a great coach for us. And he'll have success here, too. Um, but the staff in general, I thought it was cool how – a lot of the people there were obviously players before and, you know, Brom and, you know, Jeff and Brian played at Louisville. So that brought like a different level of trust. That's like, all right, these guys have been through it and they, you know, did it at a very high level, like they were dogs, you know? So um, just having them there was a really cool experience for me. Um, you know, they all communicated well and we're all on the same page and they, def and they definitely just like emphasize just like on game day, just, just cut it loose. Like you prepared before, like, you know, don't overwhelm yourself, but just make sure, you know, try to play your best. And I think that got through to everyone pretty clearly. So I think the staff was great this past year. Let's talk a little bit about Coach McGee, because for me, all the all my teammates that played on offense, at least like Juwan Pass, Des Fitzpatrick, they were all recruited by Coach McGee. And that is the reason they came to Louisville was to play ball for Coach McGee uh, with Coach Petrino whenever he was the offensive coordinator and uh they were all really disappointed whenever he left. So what what's your favorite thing about him? And what do you think makes him such a special coach? Um I would say just his personality. Like he's just he's funny, he's cool, he knows when to be serious, he knows how to communicate with different players differently, you know, because everyone's different on a football team. So you can't just talk to everyone the same. But I would say for him, like he could have a problem with you on the field and like he'll forget about it. You know, if he sees you in the hallway or someone just treats you like a normal guy, like ask you how your day was or whatever. But um, he was strictly business, business on the field, and he still was able to have a little fun, you know, when – Oh, yeah, you, yeah, you got to. You got to, yeah, you got to – you can't make it, you know, grueling at practice because exactly. football is hard enough. Um, so he did a good job on the field, but then, like, outside the field, you know, if he had something to say to you, he would. But, like, for the most part, he was just, you know – Kind of like one of the guys. He was just cool, fun, fun guy to be around. Really well respected too. That's awesome. I mean, that's stuff that you love to hear. I mean, especially me, Jacob. I mean, it's so hard to find like that players' coach nowadays. Yeah. I, mean, I think we have yeah. a whole a whole staff full of guys that you know know when to turn it not when to turn it on and off, but you can be all business and mm -hmm. still have a little bit of fun with that business. Yeah, for sure, for sure. What's it what's it like playing for Jeff Brom? He seems like I, I laugh uh when I hear him speak to the media. I say that uh he says the most nothing. Like he literally is just like football <laughs> coach guy on repeat. Everything is just like you you gotta be good at your job, you gotta have that look in your eye. It's there's nothing that we hear, but what's he like on the inside? We heard cut it loose a couple of times too. So we're we're familiar. Oh, yeah. Um, well, it's different as a head coach. Like, there's so many players. You don't really get to interact with them one-on-one -on -one like that. I mean, he was definitely um, – on game day, he was way more intense than he was during practice. You know, I don't know. It's different for every coach. But um, it was during the week. Like, he was – he's pretty chill. Like, 
he definitely go up to him and say whatever. You know, he's still an approachable guy, but um, he definitely kind of was always reserved um, and only spoke up when he really needed to. Um, but he was just always, like, laser-focused, you know, even in practice. You could just tell um, he was just trying to win games. But he was definitely sure. still, like, easy to talk to if you had to say something. You know, what what to you, what does have that look in your eye mean? Like, what is that when he says that? Do you roll your eyes a little bit, or does that mean like, does that get you riled up? It gets me riled up. I'm like, I need to figure out what that look is first, though. Well, for me, I think it's cooler just because like you hear all these stories about how good he was, so you can see him like he's just like going back to like how he was when he was a player <laughs> and he was a beast. So I, I just have – I mean, I listened to everything he said. I respected him so much. Um, this is what he did for the city and for the program. Um, but when he, like, told you to walk in, like, you were ready to go. You know, you were ready to you can go to war with these guys. So you definitely felt felt what he was saying whenever he had something to say. So, so is there any, you know, why don't you get over there and run a go for me, Alan? I, I, I'm show Jack and these boys how I can really – how to really throw a football out here. Um, I mean, it's actually funny you say that. Like, after every Friday walkthrough, they the coaches would line up them. and hit the goal. Yeah, hit the uh, goal. Uh, no. Oh, my God. And, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you could see them getting a little competitive and, like, I was like, damn, I can't believe I missed that. But it was just it's just cool to – it was all the uh, offensive coaches pretty much, like the skills coaches and so So, um, on top of that, Alan, so I think that's a Petrino thing because they used to really? – Bobby Petrino as well. And Jeff was a Petrino guy. All of them are Petrino mm-hmm. guys, obviously. Uh, funny enough, Jacob will love this too. Petrino's kid was a terrible quarterback, man. Like he sucked <laughs> in high school at Trinity. Everybody hated him. And then he was terrible at Arkansas. Obviously only got a walk-on spot there because his dad was the head coach and everything. But every time it came to hitting that goalpost from the 50-yard line, Sure enough, he was like he shot like eighty percent from the fifty. <laughs> Lamar could never hit that thing. Lamar, I mean Lamar yeah. Jackson sitting back there trying to ding it, and it never could never get it. Nick Petrino, first couple times, pink every time. So, That's who, funny. which, which of the two, which of the two? I'm sure Jeff and Brian were the two leaders of that. Of who probably won the most? Who, who, in your opinion, just watching from the side, do you think won the most out of all of those? Well, sleeper is uh, Coach McGee. He was a quarterback. Oh yeah. See the wide receiver and he, and he throws... always have sneaky arms because they're throwing <laughs> time. Yeah, exactly. He throws like I don't know how many balls during practice, just to us and drills and just like messing around. But he hit a couple, I remember, and you know, he's a cocky guy. So whenever he does anything about his arm, you'll hear it. And no nobody wants to hear it, but it's just funny. About Devin said McGee, um I think Jeff hit it. Coach Jeff Brom hit it a couple times. So, so yeah. There you go. There you go. Yeah, he's got to have a couple just just to hold that bragging right just a little bit. Um, <laughs> yeah. So we had the question here to ask you about just kind of big moments, but I'm just more curious about the ACC championship from your perspective. Like, what was that like? No, it's your first year here at Louisville, but I, you know, I'm sure you're familiar with the history of the football program and that it was the first time ever going to that particular game and. You know, there was a lot of talk about Louisville's schedule not being what it should be because there was no Florida State, no Clemson on it, North, no North Carolina, and then you get to go to Charlotte. Um, and you talk about Jeff Brown's intensity. Just walk us through what that was like for the team to experience that and kind of how Coach Brown led you all through that. Um, well, he 
and our coach pretty much always our coaches always emphasize this, but they emphasize like one game season throughout the week. So every game you just focus on who you're playing. And I think that's why we were so good because we all just focused on the next game or the game we had to prepare for. We never really thought too far ahead about it or how big of a game it was. So when we got to the AC Championship, it was like, all right, well, you know, Brown was like, well, you guys earned the right to be here. You wouldn't be here if you didn't deserve it. So now just go win the game. Obviously, we didn't, but um, we were all just excited and just like we were just ready to go, you know, locked in. It was special, definitely special for the city because – you know, it was the first time we'd ever done it. So I think that part was really cool. But for the most part, we were just trying to win, you know. Didn't really let the moment get too big. Um, obviously, didn't turn out the way we wanted to. But um, we are just really What's it feel like for play. you guys? Like, you, y'all set the foundation for – in every new way, like each coaching staff change, each new group that comes in with that. Like, you're setting a foundation and a standard for what you expect it to be like, you know, years and years down the road, you would hope. Uh, so what was it like for you personally with all the history, everything, you know, surrounding your family to come, you know, into Louisville, have an impact and, you know, make it to that game? I mean, for me, like, I never thought I would be in any game, you know, like that. You know, just thinking back to my times at Brown, like, there are no fans at the games and you're just playing. And then I, you know, fast forward, I'm playing the AC Championship. I'm like, this is crazy. Like, I'm just so blessed and it was an honor. Like, I mean, I was just so excited to be there just to compete at that level um, with those guys um, I got really close with. <clears throat> and, then, and then for, you know, my family, I, you know, just want to make them proud for what I was doing. So it was a really, I mean, that was like a once in a lifetime, you know, experience that I'll never, never forget. All right. Last question. And we'll get you out of here on this, uh, knowing what you know about year one and knowing that a lot of these guys were, you know, uh, holdovers from the previous staff and you know that uh, Jeff Brom was really just trying to kind of bring the pieces together in year one and make it all fit and obviously there's a ton of transfers and you know the the sky is still really high so for you knowing what you know what is the future of this football program I mean do you see them being a potential perennial college football playoff contender I mean do you think he's that good of a coach to be able to get them to that standard and keep it there I think so. I mean, so at the end of the day, it all starts with recruiting. And he's done a really good job. I mean, even last – this past season, again, who he got to play here. I mean, that's a credit to him and his staff and, you know, the athletic department for just backing him and supporting him and um, giving him what he needs pretty much to put together really good teams. So I think we'll continue doing that. Um, even with the success of the portal this past year, and I'm sure he got some good high school recruits. Um I think Louisville is going to be, you know, a brand name um, moving forward. I mean, obviously it was because of Lamar, but it's going to continue to keep getting better. And I think, you know, the world of the coaches. So I'm excited to see what they do. Future is bright, man. Is Louisville now your home away from home? It will always be home, yeah. I mean, I came here as a kid in the summers, just never that long. Um, But living here was definitely really cool. And, you know, Louisville will always have a special place, you know, in my heart. So. Definitely grateful for the experience. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to join us. Uh, like I said, I really enjoyed getting to kind of follow along and see your experience in Japan and uh, glad it was able to lead to this connection. So thanks again for dropping in, man. And best of luck to you as you head off into adult life post-football and get to join us, man. Yes, Hopefully, 
<laughs> Hopefully you'll be back at some point next season. As I said to Evan Conley a couple weeks ago, there's, I don't know if you're a beer drinker, but there's something about that beer at Cardinal stadium. that just It's different, man. I would love to buy your first beer. As you have a fan all the answers. You have all I got to take you up on that. That's right. I probably, man, we'll make that happen for sure. Cause that beer is special. It gets, there's a reason fans act the way that they do throughout the entirety of that game. It's because the beer hits different. So Alan, thank you so much, man. Best of luck and uh, go cards, man. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. Yeah, really grateful for it. Thanks. Vacation starts with VA. One thing you'll love about your trip to Virginia is that you'll never have to settle for one thing. All that you love is all in one trip. Start yours at virginia.org.